all week long as I have basked in the glow of watching these children arrive for Bible school. I have basked in the sense of gratitude for all those who made this week possible. For the parents who got them up, got them ready, brought them here. I think some of us forget the task of what it means to get a child up early, <laughs> to get them ready, to get them someplace on time. Thank you, parents. I have deep gratitude for each of you, your commitment, and the commitment of the staff and the training they took and the, the discipline of preparation and getting ready and all that takes place the gift of generosity of time, the gift of generosity of skill, the gift of generosity, even when they said, I don't know how to do this, but I'll learn to do this. The gift of generosity that came and was present. The gift of time. All that comes together in this week, that gracious generosity that makes an experience like that possible. It has prompted me to think about how the gift of generosity has shaped my own life, the generosity of others. I'm a product of generosity. I'm the product of a generous church. I'm a product of a small church, was never very large. I'm a product of a pastor who loved me enough to tell me to stop misbehaving in the back row of the morning service <laughs> while my parents were leading children's church. I'm the product of a church whose pastor in another setting said to me as I went to college, your family doesn't have anything, but if you need something, you come and ask me. I'm the product of a church that had people in it that had vision and hope for a young man. And a widow woman by the name of Hazel Burroughs came to me my senior year in high school and said, next year when you're passing in college, I'm gonna send you $100 a month. 1970, that was real money, friends. It's still real money, friends. <laughs> I'm the product of a community of believers who saw a family with five children and a mom and dad who worked too many jobs just to keep clothes on our backs and food on our table. 
long before there were terms like side hustle. My dad was leaning into the side hustle game. And one Christmas, a box on our porch, brand new clothing for all the children, and it all fit. Somebody knew. It was 50 years before I knew who gave that box of clothing to us. I'm a product of a church who gave generously without the need for recognition, who gave generously without asking, oh, but I don't have more, but called to generosity. They gave. I'm the product of a woman by the name of Virginia McClellan. Some of you knew Mrs. McClellan. She was the director of student financial aid at Pasadena Point Loma. On two occasions when I called her and said, I can't come back, I don't have. She found something. So I could stay. That's just my story. I wish we had time this morning that we could hear your story of how your life has been touched by the generosity of people in the community of faith. Those who made possible for you what was not possible without them. Generosity. And so it is we come in this sixth week of the series, Created to Thrive, to explore this idea of generosity. In the first five weeks, we've explored the opportunities to thrive as they have applied to us. Today, we explore the idea of generosity as it applies to us, but impacts others. It flows in us and then flows out of us. Generosity is a topic that has some practical implications for us, but it's such an important topic for us in the community of faith that Let's not be afraid of the practical implications because it's in the practical implications that the rest of what God seeks to do becomes manifest. So this morning we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I invite you to open your Bibles and turn there. We read it this morning out of the Common English Bible translation. You may have the NIV or the NSRV or some other translation the themes are all there. And as it was read for us this morning and as you read through it again perhaps, there are three streams of thought that arise out of that passage that get all bundled up in Paul's thinking and comprise generosity. The first theme that arises out of that passage is the theme of the gift for Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, I'm writing you about the offering, about the gift you promised. And throughout chapter nine, Paul is very straightforward to talk about the offering. So we won't avoid the idea of the offering this morning. 
But as we make our way through these verses in chapter nine, Paul ties gift of offering to another gift. In verse five, Paul talks about your gift, and in verse 15, he talks about God's gift. Your gift in the offering and puts it in the context of God's gift of God's Son to us. We'll explore that more in just a bit. Paul also talks in the context of the gift of the offering. He ties it to grace. He ties God's grace to the gift of the offering. Frank Carver says it this way. In other words, God's God graces people to be gracious and generous to one another in his name. There's a way to think about the offering. Here's a way to think about the offering when you leave it in one of the offering boxes. This is God's grace to me to be God's grace in the lives of others. For the word grace means gift. It is the gift of God to us. That is a gift for our lives that makes possible the gift out of our lives to the gift toward other people's lives. In other words, our generosity becomes an expression of our gratitude for the gifts of God in our lives, not payment for, but gratitude for. When Paul uses grace in direct reference to the offering itself, grace is a privilege, as in it is a privilege to be invited to give or an act of grace or a generous understanding. And the third theme in chapter nine is that Paul ties righteousness to the offering. In verses nine and verse 10. And so here is Paul, and the word righteousness is that moral, ethical understanding of what it is that God invites me to do that is a reflection of God's presence in my life. And Paul says, here is the offering. The offering is part of our righteousness in God. And the challenge that we have with chapter nine is that we could read that chapter and think this is transactional. He who sows generously reaps generously. He who sows sparingly sows reaps sparingly. And we could create in that moment in those verses this kind of prosperity gospel that becomes transactional. If I do this, God will do that. In the middle 1970s, I was on staff at a church in Northern Idaho and a gentleman came through. If I mentioned his name, some of you would know it gentleman came through teaching that 
If you want a growth in your income, give that much more. If you're giving 10% and you wanted a 10% growth in your income, give another 10% and God would do that. And one of the business people in our church came to me and said, oh, did you hear that? I'm, I'm gonna do this and I asked this person, so what if God doesn't do that? And he looked at me somewhat stunned and taken aback as if how could that be possible? God will bless generosity, but perhaps not in the way that you expect it to be blessed, and perhaps not in the measure that we expect it to be blessed. Within weeks, that gentleman's business was closed and chained by the Internal Revenue Service. And so, let us be careful because this passage is not a prosperity gospel passage. It's not a health and wealth passage. It is a passage about generosity. Generosity that gives freely out of grace and righteousness without expectation of return, but understanding that all that I have, God has blessed me with, and it is God's to be used for God's purpose. On the surface of this passage, it would be simple and yet correct to say that Paul is speaking of the offering for the ministry to support an ever-growing circle of believers as the early church continues to expand. But knowing that Paul ties grace and righteousness to the prospect of an offering invites us to consider this passage in the context of a greater truth that calls us into the experience of grace and righteousness. Pierce Taylor Hibbs, in his book, The Giving Book, invites us to consider what he calls the divine giving circle. There's a traditional teaching on the Trinity from St. Augustine that depicts the Father as giver, the Spirit as gift, and the Son as recipient. There's a sense in which the Father gives himself to the Son showing him all that he does, as seen in John 5.20, and a sense in which the Son gives himself to the Spirit and to the Father. The Son did, after all, wander into the desert in the power of the Spirit in Matthew 4, according to the will of the Father. Love among the Trinity is reciprocal. And we can say that the persons of the Trinity are always giving themselves to each other in love. And so there is this circle of giving between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as they care for each other and are expressions of each other. And they reveal to us that giving oneself in love is the greatest gift of all. Giving oneself in love is the greatest gift of all. And that is what God the Father does through his Son with the promise of the Holy Spirit. As we see in John chapter 14 through chapter 17. And then on Pentecost, 
God's gifts continuing presence of the Spirit to all believers. God gives the Son, the Son gives to the Father, who gives the Spirit, who gives to the Son, and we begin to understand the love expressed and given in the triune God as the divine circle of giving. God gives himself to us in the gift of Jesus and the Spirit, which makes it possible for us to give to God and through God to others. Thus, you and I are invited into the divine giving circle in which love is the centerpiece. Think about that. Think about all that God has given and all that is given to us in and through the triune God. God has given us the greatest gift in giving of God's self to us in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, and has held nothing back from us. And in that giving, God invites you and I into the divine circle of giving. Invites us into the same freedom, invites us into the same limitless love and generosity as has been given to us. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Run With the Horses, wrote, Giving is what we do best. It is the air into which we are born. It is the action that was designed into us before our birth. Giving is the way the world is. God gives himself. He also gives away everything that is. He makes no exceptions for any of us. We are given away to our families, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our enemies, to the nations. Our lives are for others. That is the way creation works. Some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to live for ourselves. We look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of a bank account for dear life, afraid to risk ourselves on the untried wings of giving. We don't think we can live generously because we have never tried. But the sooner we start, the better. For we are going to have to give up our lives finally. And the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace. And the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace. Second Corinthians chapter nine is a call to all believers to thrive in a life of generosity, to give oneself away in the spirit and the grace and the righteousness of God. Second 
so that the blessing of God comes in the lives of others and in our lives. In a few weeks, actually in a few months, the end of October, 14 of us from Paznaz will fly from LAX. I am not generous in my description of Los Angeles Airport. <laughs> but we will get on a plane 12.59 on a Monday morning. And we will fly to Miami, and then from Miami we will fly to Holguin, Cuba. We are paying our own expenses. We are paying our way. We are making a contribution to the project there. And we will work in Holguin and help a church finish the third floor of an education building where they train pastors for the rest of Cuba, where they hold Sunday school classes, where they hold vacation Bible school. And they've been working at this project now for about five years. We hope to help them top it out. Across the street is a government-owned preschool. And last time I was there, I signed an agreement on behalf of Paznaz and the Holguin Central Church of the Nazarene to be partners with that preschool. And then something called COVID interrupted. But if God allows, we'll go back to that preschool and we'll paint. They have two to 300 preschool children every day. And while we're there, we will travel to some other churches. You may recall when Bob Prescott was with us, he talked about a church that was for sale in Manzanillo. $14,000, we could buy the property, we could buy the church, we could buy the parsonage. And so a family in the congregation stepped up and said, we will give to make that happen. We're gonna go visit Manzanillo. And it would be easy for us on the face of it to say, oh, look how generous we are and look what we are doing. But I will tell you, the generosity will be on the part of the Cuban people who will welcome us and care for us in the spite of all of the rationing going on, who are already collecting gas ration tickets to make sure we have fuel to go where we need to go to be picked up at the airport. What we do will be nothing compared to what they bless us with. You see, Whatever generosity we bring will be returned to us in larger measure by the Spirit of God. And that generosity ripples out. And as Paul says in chapter 9, and they will pray for you and they will be thankful for you. And this divine circle of giving just keeps returning 
blessing and extending blessing over and over. In the light of the divine circle of giving in which God has given himself, all of himself, and then invites us into that divine circle of giving, we can begin to appreciate the words of Paul in a new and richer way. More than waiting for an offering, Paul is inviting the church into the grace and righteousness of generosity. God's grace given to us in Christ provides the standard by which giving is measured. Paul takes into consideration the entire scope of God's revelation in Christ from the incarnation to the resurrection. Someone said to me last Sunday, God has done so much for us. What can we do? And I would echo that and trumpet that. God has done so much for us, what can we do? God has done so much for me, what can I do? Sure, we have need of an offering. Yes, we do. You can read the numbers there in the worship folder every Sunday. But when we think about generosity, the offering is only part of that. My prayer would be that God's Holy Spirit would bless and birth in this place a new spirit of generosity that transcends the offering that we learn to live in ways, and many of you do, and many of us do, that doesn't ask, how little can I give, but how can I give more? That even risks, it's no risk, but it may feel like risk to say, God, what would you have me give? of my financial resources, of my time. Pastor Darwin volunteered for Vacation Bible School. And he said they needed somebody who could get down on the floor and get back up off the floor. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Darwin. And I told him, thank you for being generous. Thank you for taking my place. <laughs> Think about that. It's an act of generosity. There is this great, wonderful space for thriving in the kingdom of God that embraces generosity and says, oh, oh God, you have blessed me in so many ways and so much measure. What can I do? How can I be generous? In the light of appreciating the divine circle of giving, 
Let's hear Paul's words again, beginning with verse five. And as you hear them again, listen for the divine circle of giving in this passage. Verse five. This is why I thought it was necessary to encourage the brothers to go to you ahead of time and arrange in advance the generous gift you have already promised. I want it to be a real gift from you. I don't want you to feel like you're being forced to give anything. What I mean is this, the one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop, and one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide to you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. As it is written, he scattered everywhere. He gave to the needy. His righteousness remains forever. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed and will increase your crop, which is righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service to God's people isn't only fully meeting their needs, but it is also multiplying in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. They will give honor to God for your obedience to your confession of Christ's gospel. They will do this because this service provides evidence of your obedience and because of your generosity in sharing with them and everyone. They will also pray for you and they will care deeply for you because of the outstanding grace that God has given you. Thank God for his gift that words can't describe. Did you hear it in there? That circle? Think about this. When I welcome the invitation in the divine circle of giving, others will follow you into the divine circle of giving. That's what Paul says. I invite you to live generously so that you can model generosity for others. so others can follow us into the divine circle of giving. God gives Christ in spirit to us. We respond to the Father's astounding gift of love with generosity, which touches the lives of others. They give thanks and praise to God for obedient generosity and pray for and care deeply for us because the grace God has given to us has also now been extended to them. And as Paul says, thank God for his gift that words can't describe. Three quick things. Generosity happens at the intersection of heaven's aspiration and humanity's needs. Generosity always occur in relationship. In relationship from person to person, in relationship to a need, in relationship to the hope generosity makes possible, and on and on. When we are invited into the divine circle of giving, we become stewards of the grace and righteousness of generosity. 
you and I were created to be generous. I love the imagery of the last sentence of Eugene Peterson's quote from Run With The Horses. The sooner we start, the better, for we are going to have to give up our lives finally, and the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace. I love that imagery. The soaring, swooping life of grace. I pray that is your experience. I pray that God will bless you in so much measure that you will live generously. Not only financially, but with your time, your presence, with your joy, with your care. And we would give thanks to God for what God does. Let's stand together. We're going to share the benediction together this morning. I invite you to read it from the screen and let us say it in unison together. God, you are the great giver. You know giving not just with us, but with yourself. When we give, we image you, but we long to grasp things in the world. Help us to see what we can release. Help us to watch the world with open hands, ready to hold out whatever you have given us. Amen. May God bless you with all you need. May God supply you with all you hope for. And may you give away generously.